Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. You know, as we welcome, (laughs) I'm Kim, for those that don't know me. Um, When we were praying this morning before church, uh, the Lord brought to my mind or reminded me that Friday was International Women's Day. And I don't know whether it was intentional that a woman would be speaking this morning, but I did just want to say that I am so grateful to be part of a community of believers that value and honour women and what they bring to the kingdom. Um, So thank you guys, and and thank you all. My prayer for us today as I speak is not so much that you would hear my words, but that you would hear the heart of God for your lives and that you would take the opportunity to draw near to him and into more of what he has for you. And the beautiful Sarah, I don't know whether she's still here. No, she's gone. But she unknowingly gave the most beautiful introduction and the most beautiful examples about what we're talking about this morning. Because if you were here last week, you will know we've started a series on communally, as a community, looking at becoming actively invitational. Invitation is a concept you will find all throughout Scripture. Scripture is full of invitations from God. First and foremost, he invites us through Jesus Christ into a relationship with him. He invites us to salvation and then to an intimacy of relationship with him. Then there's another type of invitation that John drew our attention to last week, and then it's one for us to offer the world. For us, Christ's ambassadors to the world, to offer to those who don't yet know Jesus. Mark 1.17, Jesus said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We have been fished out of the miry clay and placed upon a rock and it is now given to us the opportunity to turn around and offer others the chance for the same. The opportunity to be fished out of the miry clay, washed clean and put upon a rock. We do this by extending a hand and by offering an invitation. Last week, John spoke to us through the beautiful imagery of the parable of the wedding banquet, and he spoke to us about the type of invitation that we are offering. And this week, knowing that that invitation is good, that it's something joyous, that it's something we want to be a part of, and so therefore it is something that others will want to be a part of too, we're going to look at why we're not, why we're not already invitational? What stops us from being actively invitational? Now, I want to, at this point, just kind of stop and acknowledge that not all of us will struggle, not all of us will shy away from the opportunity to invite others. And to you, I want to say, yay, well done, bless you, keep going, and perhaps find someone in our community, in our little community here that is struggling or who is doing this for the first time and walk alongside them, help them, encourage them, support them as they embrace this part of God's purposes for their lives. I want to start 
by sharing, a dream, sharing with you a dream I had a number of years ago. Now, I, I dream often. I don't remember my dreams often, but every now and again, probably... Am I boring you, Mike? <laughs> every now and again... I'll try and do better. <laughs> every now and again... <laughs> Don't worry, I'll get you to stand up in a minute. Um, see, I see everything up here. <laughs> anyway, back to my dream. <laughs> Don't yawn, I will see you. <laughs> back to my dream. Every now and again, God gives me a dream, and there's probably only been a half a dozen times in my life where the dream has impacted me powerfully. And this was one of those dreams. It was only a short dream, or at least the part that was relevant was only short. And I want to share it with you. And you'll see why it shook me a bit when I had it. But first of all, you need a bit of background. I am one of four children, and my dad is one of six. He is 17 years younger than his oldest brother. And so by the time he was born, my grandma was tired. And so basically... <laughs> Basically, and she was old, and so basically his older sisters took a great chunk of the responsibility of raising him, and particularly his eldest sister did this, and she loved and adored him, and she's a, she's a lovely lady, and she's the lady that featured prominently in my dream. She's a lovely lady, but she's an intimidating lady. She's quite proper, and she's quite strict. Um, she married a man who is a lovely man, but a man who values worldly success above all else. And so she has taken on that influence. Um, and in fact, I remember Dad telling a story one time about how she had said that she knew that she had been successful in life at the point where she had obtained or gathered a share portfolio that was larger and more valuable than her father's, my grandfather's. So that's an indication of, of her value of success and, and her measure of success in the world. So that's not all my dad's family. There are some members of my fam dad's family that love the Lord, and in fact, you'll even find a deaconess tucked in there somewhere. But that is not this aunt that appeared in my dream. She does not. And so we knew that whenever we visited with her or she visited with us, we did not talk about faith or religion. No, maybe politics. If you happen to agree with her and her husband's point of view, you would maybe go there, but not faith and not religion. She just was not interested. So now we get to my dream. God gave me this dream, and in this dream, I knew that we weren't on earth. We were kind of suspended somewhere between earth and eternity, and she was down a little bit lower than me, and I realized that she had died, and that in her passing, she had come to understand the fullness of her choice not to um, embrace or, or love Jesus. And in that moment, her response was to turn around and to reach up to me. And she said, in my dream, she said, Kimmy, why didn't you tell me? And then I woke up. Now, I don't know whether that dream was for her particularly or whether it was the Lord saying to me, I need to be more invitational. She's not dead, by the way. She's alive. Um, so I don't know quite what the Lord was saying, but I can tell you that every time we have seen her since, Matt has reminded me of that dream. <laughs> And so we are intentionally 
praying for opportunities to speak to her, to be bold and to speak to her about faith. We have made some small movements towards that end goal. In fact, uh, she came last Christmas, we were up with my mum and dad and she came and had a meal with us and we knew they were coming. And so we were praying beforehand for an opportunity to speak about our faith openly in a really natural, not weird way. Um, I felt sick at the prospect, if I'm honest, but we were going to do it. Um, Matt was making sure of it. (laughs) Anyway, we got one. It was only really small and it was really awkward and it was probably only two minutes of the entire conversation, but we did it. And the point, yeah, thank you. (laughs) And the point is that. The point is, I don't know, she didn't come to Christ, she didn't profess, and I don't know what went on with her, but we did it. So my question then is, why did I find it so hard? I mean, you can see the worldly reasons why, but why do we so often find it hard to share our faith? Why do we shy away from sharing our faith? It's not because we don't love Jesus. We love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. I love talking with believers about Jesus. It's life-giving and it centres us on what really matters. So then why... Are we scared to do that for those that don't yet know him? When we know ourselves how powerful it is. Well, you may find comfort in knowing that it's not just us and it's not just this time and place in history that finds it it difficult, that it has been a struggle for all of us, for all of mankind for centuries. In fact, the early church really struggled. But that doesn't give us the answers to why the struggle is real. In preparing for today, I had a look at the literature and it seems there are many, many, many reasons why the church is not actively invitational, not just the church in Sydney, not just Northridge, not just the church in Sydney, not just the church in Australia, but the church worldwide struggles with being actively invitational. So I have settled on what seems to be a top five. It's a five reasons that keep coming up. So number five, reason why we don't invite people to church. People say, I don't know any non-believers. Now, if that is true, and I don't believe it is true, then you need to change something in your life so that you do find non-believers. I actually don't believe it's true, and I'm going to show you why I don't believe it's true. Everybody stand up. Okay. If you go to university, sit down, or TAFE, or any kind of educational institution, sit down. If you have school-aged children or you go to mother's group, sit down. If you walk your pet at the park, sit down. If you play in a sporting team or watch your children or your grandchildren play in a sporting team ever, sit down. If you buy coffee at a regular place, if you shop at a regular place, sit down. If you are employed or work in an environment that's not a church, sit down. If you go to the gym, sit down. If you have neighbours, sit down. If you have family... Oh, you're all sitting down. We all know non-believers. Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We know that from Acts. 
If we keep looking in Acts, we will see that after the persecution in Jerusalem, all of the Christians except for the apostles were scattered. And further, they evangelized wherever they went. Tim Keller makes the point when he's talking about this verse that he that it's clear that not all Christians are um, gifted or given the opportunity to speak publicly, but all Christians would have been, and we should be, talking to our friends, talking to our neighbours, talking to our colleagues about the gospel, about the good news of Christ. Somewhere in your day, in your week, there will be those who need an invitation. If you don't know where they are, ask God, and I'm sure he will show you. So number four, I don't want to be seen as a Bible basher or risk losing friendships. Okay, I have a story. I had a friend, you'll know as I said I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend and they had a faith. I knew they had a faith and I knew they grew up in a family that had a faith and so we hadn't connected for a while but we were having this conversation. We had a lo- what I thought was a lovely 20-minute conversation and as part of that conversation and I literally mean as 30 seconds of that 20-minute conversation, I said, um, yeah, you should get back to church. So you should consider getting back to church sometime. And at the time I thought they responded pretty well and honestly I didn't think anything else of it until probably a few weeks later when I was talking to another of that circle of friends um, and they had said to me that this person had been saying all sorts of terrible things about me and that how I was a Bible basher now and that all I wanted, that was all I wanted to talk about and I didn't want to talk about anything else and how horrible that was. Um, and I, I don't actually connect with that group of friends anymore, so I haven't really heard from them. They, they, drifted, they drifted away. Um, now, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe my approach was wrong. I don't know. I didn't think so at the time, but clearly I offended them in some way. And it's hurtful. It's hurtful when people turn away. It's hurtful when people say things about you that aren't true and you don't have a chance to defend yourself or correct them. And then other people believe those things that they have said about you that are untrue. It's hurtful and it's hard, but it's not a reason or an excuse to stop. We are never promised an easy run. And in fact, in Scripture, We are told that when it's hard, when we are persecuted, when people say bad things about us, in fact, that's meant to remind us of the small price we pay compared to the enormous price that Christ paid for us, for our salvation. We are not meant to let us stop. Number three, I don't know how to do it. Guess what? There's no formula. You can watch others and you can be encouraged by them, but God, God created you, you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made just the way you are. And he created you intentionally and with purpose. You just need to be you. I can try and be Matt. It's weird when I try and do it the way Matt does it. It's not natural and it's not a fit for me. Everyone has to find their own way. And how you get better at doing something, you practice it. Number two, what if they come to church and if they think we're weird or the sermon's not great? When someone you invite walks in 
and they see us raising our hands or falling to our knees or speaking in tongues, they might think it's weird. Straight up, I want to say it's not weirdness, it's freedom and it's a good thing to be celebrated. (laughs) But the other thing I want to say is leave that part to God. Answer their questions, check in on them, but leave that part to God. I grew up um, in a little country town in country Queensland. I went to a very small Anglican church that met only twice a week because the minister rotated throughout all the little communities. And then I went to an all-girls Anglican school. And so when I got married, my only experience of church had been very traditionally Anglican. And so after we got married, we moved to Sydney and Matt really wanted to go to a conference at Dayspring. But he looked at me and he wasn't sure whether I'd cope. And so he spent the longest time prepping me. (laughs) You know, this might happen, that might happen, you might feel uncomfortable, it might be a little bit weird. I'm like, stop already, just let me go. Um, So we went and I loved it. I felt like I'd come home. I felt like I met with Jesus for the first time. All of that to say, don't assume and don't presume anything. Don't worry about whether the good worship team's on. You're all good, by the way. (laughs) Don't worry about whether it's the McNee Saxton Home Group doing morning tea because all morning tea is great. Don't worry about who the speaker is. God has a plan for the person you have brought. He has prepared the banquet. Your part to play is to extend the invitation. Let him do the rest. Okay, so we're at number one. Religion is a private or personal thing. It doesn't take much reading of scripture to see that this is not true. Faith is lived out in community. It is who we are 100% of the time, in all places, in all circumstances. It just can't be private. It can and should be humble. It can and should be filled with grace and love and lack of judgment but it cannot be private. Okay, can we just put up the summary slide? Okay, so these are my top five reasons. So we can find, I've given you answers or responses to each of these excuses or reasons, but that's not enough. We won't be able to overcome them until we deal with the root of these reasons. Because if we don't deal with the root of these reasons, they'll just pop up again in another excuse. Same root, different excuse. Same root, different reason why we're not going to invite. So we need to deal with the root. The root, coincidentally and fortunately, is the same for all of them. Do you see it? Do you see the root? The The thing that's consistent throughout all of them? Its name is fear. Now, we all know that fear is not necessarily a bad thing, that God gave us a good natural fear for times of intense crisis, but that fear dissipates once that crisis has departed or moved on. The fear I'm talking about, the fear that is similar here, is the fear of man, and that is a fear that paralyzes us and stops us from doing the very thing that God is calling us to do. Proverbs, I can't speak, Proverbs, (laughs) Proverbs, it's a book in the Bible, 29 verse 25 reminds us that the fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord stays safe. The key to overcoming fear is to replace it with trust in the Lord, our faith. 
Let the Word and the Spirit of God dismantle the fear. Or in other words, take those thoughts, those fearful thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ as we're told to do in 2 Corinthians. I had a a funny moment um, this week where I had to choose to swap my fear for faith and I felt like the Lord was going, okay, are you going to practice what you're preaching on Sunday? Here's an opportunity. So it was yesterday. (laughs) Matt and I, um, we had a moment, Sarah had a haircut, had, had a haircut and so we went up and we were sitting in a uh, on a, we had grabbed a coffee and we were sitting at a table outside the hairdresser waiting for her before we started on our usual Saturday round of sport. And I had my notes for today and I was reading them out loud to Matt and getting his feedback on them. Anyway, we're doing that for a minute or two and, and this um, gentleman walks past and I see him in my peripheral vision and then he walks up to us and he says, I'm just, well, I'm just hanging around and I thought I might be interested in what you guys are doing. Can I sit down? Sure, we said, sit down. (laughs) And so I froze. What do I do now? Do I start a conversation with him? Do I silently edit my notes on my own? Or do I keep doing what we'd been doing before he sat down? So I replaced my fear with faith and I kept going. Firstly, very self-consciously, and then in a more relaxed way and more boldly. Now, he he sat there and he listened for about 15 minutes and then he just got up and left. (laughs) He heard most of what you've heard this morning. Uh, I don't know what impact, if any, it had on his life. But that's not the point. The point is that we are given the confidence and the knowledge of Christ in our faith. And this is our surety and our strength. This allows us to rise above and to face and conquer the fear of man regardless of the outcome. So what happens if the worst happens? We have... um, We've spent some time in our household dealing with anxiety. And one of the things we do is we try and always, if it pops up, we try and look at the worst possible case scenario. And then we go, okay, that's not so bad. We can cope with that. And so then we're encouraged to go out. So the worst case possible scenario for us is they say no. The people we're inviting react negatively and they say no. What happens then? How do we deal with that? I mean, this is a problem for us actually because when we hear yes, it affirms us and we feel successful and there's something good and we like that. But when we hear no, it feels like, it feels personal and it feels like we have failed. And there are just two things I want to say to that. And the first is what we've already talked about. And that is while it might be uncomfortable to hear, we know that we can face the rejection and walk through confident that when we are offering an invitation to him, we are in the centre of God's will for our lives and that is the safest and the best place that we can possibly be. Is that me or is that upstairs? The second thing I want to say, it's fine. (laughs) Um, The second thing I want to say is that we need to reframe our perspective and our ideas about what constitutes success and what constitutes failure. And I want to look at that a little bit more. Part of any of you that's made a plan or written a business plan would know that part of any good plan 
is evaluating the outcome. You see an opportunity, you make a plan, you implement the plan, and then at the end of the plan, you evaluate what happened and to see whether or not it was successful. So at the end of this series, Bonnie and Rob may want to look at it and see if it was successful. You may, having listened to the series, want to look and go, in terms of my response, was I successful? The important question when we do that, when Bonnie and Rob do it, and when we do it ourselves, is what we use to measure that success. In many circumstances, in fact, in most circumstances, success is measured quantitatively. It's the easiest and most recognisable way to measure it. Did they say yes? Did everyone on my list say yes and come to church? Do we have, at the end of the series, 10 or 20% more people sitting in the chairs? The problem for us in using a quantitative method is that we don't have a quantitative God. We have a qualitative God. We have a God who leaves the 99 to go after the one. We have a God who welcomes the wayward son with the grandest of celebrations. We have a qualitative God who cannot be measured quantitatively. So this series, the success of this series or the success of you stepping out in intentional invitation cannot be measured by how many people say yes to your invitation. It cannot be measured by how much our attendance grows. Developing a culture of invitation is not about filling up the seats. That may happen, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, but it's not the reason we do it. That's not our purpose in doing it. The reason we want to become invitational is not to get people into Northridge. We are actually doing something much, much more important than that. We are inviting them to something that's much, much bigger than Northridge. We are inviting them to explore the possibility of a relationship with Jesus. We are inviting them to receive salvation and reconciliation with Father God. That's what the banquet offers. And that's what we are extending in our invitation. Our success is not measured by their response. Our success is in the act of inviting. Our invitation, whether it's to come to church on Sunday, whether it's to the trivia night or another church function, whether it's simply to a conversation about God or to share our lives, our faith in a more in-depth way, is the opportunity, the possibility for someone who doesn't yet know it to receive the love of God into their life. And that is a good and worthwhile thing. So that's what we are talking about this series. That's what we are inviting you to. So I'm, oh yes, I'm going to wrap up. Um, And I want to pray. I want to pray for all of us and I want us to pray for each other. And I want us as we do that to remember the prophetic word that Kathy had this morning when she said, Jesus, the presence of Christ breaks, Jesus Christ breaks, breaks chains. His power, there's power, what did you say? There's power in the name of Jesus to break chains. And that's what we're doing this morning. We need prayer and the Holy Spirit to break the chains of fear and to empower us to 
empower us to offer an invitation for those who don't yet know God. And Burns said it when we were praying before the service. Burns said it so beautifully. I didn't, burn. where are you? I hope you don't mind me repeating your words. Do you mind me repeating your words? Excellent. Um, he said, you know, it's the greatest thrill to invite people who don't know Jesus into the kingdom. I pray that it would be that for all of us, that it wouldn't be something scary or intimidating or something that we would shy away from, that we would come to know it as the greatest thrill in our week. So stand with me um, as we pray and we finish our service. I had some specific words. Um, This is not a a limitation. If there is something else that God has prompted you on as we pray, as I've spoken this morning, come on up the front. But the specific words I felt like the Lord was touching on was if you have been wounded or hurt previously, maybe if you have lost a friendship over invitation to faith, then I would love to pray for you. If you've been offended by what I've said today or what was said last week, then please come up. We'd love to pray for you too. If you want to... Oh, no. God reveals our heart through offence. So if you're ever offended, ask the Lord what he's doing in your heart. Um, Boldness. If you want boldness, if you want to see the opportunity that sits before you, then come up and we'll pray for you. And if you just don't know where to start... If you just want courage to start, then come up and we'll pray for you too. So if any of those things are prayed for you, come on up. I'll ask the worship team to come back and and, um, just play for us. But I'm going to pray. And then if you feel led to come up, come up. Otherwise, go and be blessed and be a blessing to your community this week. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the rock that we stand on. I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us, Lord. I ask, Father, that you would empower us to walk boldly amongst the people of the world that don't yet know you, that we would walk gently but boldly and share the love that you have given us, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you that there's more than what this world offers. Give us the strength, Lord. Let us know the thrill of inviting others into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So you are free to go and get kids if you need to do that or morning tea if you'd like to do that. But if you would like prayer, then please come on up and there will be people that would love to pray for you.